The show you're about to hear is a member of the Plains Talkers Podcast Network. To find out more, go to plainstalkerspodcast.com. Plenty of decks don't get to draw three cards for one man. Well, I mean, all the good ones do. If you're not playing MH2, are you even trying? Right. Doomsday Pass. Witherbloom Command. Mill three cards. Good luck. <laughs> I am Jake. And I'm Matt. And we are Cantrip Cartel. We're proud members of the Planestalkers Podcasting Network. Our mothership show, the Planestalkers Podcast, records on Twitch on Mondays for their Wednesday release. And on Wednesday, they also rec- or they also stream CommanderCraft on Twitch. As a bit of a surprise, Matt and I are going to be on the Commander Craft stream on uh, Wednesday, the 24th, for their holiday episode. We're really excited to bring in some, maybe some mid-tier power decks and maybe even some more powerful decks for some secondary games. What do you think, Matt? you excited? I'm very excited. Uh, I'm going to school these guys on how to play EDH. Yep. So we're going to have a lot of fun. Check it out at the Planesockers podcast channel on Twitch. Like I said, November 28th, around 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It'll be a lot of fun and, you know, a lot of jokes will be told and um, noobs, whether that be us or them, will be crushed. Yep. One way or the other. One way or the other. So other than that, Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Before we get started, I just wanted to give a big thank you to a couple people. Number one being Julian. He came on our episode, on our podcast last week. I had a great time. I was super nervous, which you may or may not have been able to tell. We both were pretty nervous. Yeah, it's he's just been a long time guru to me even though we didn't know it that was you know first time we had met and spoke had a great time so thanks to him i want to thank jake for setting that up he 100 percent took the initiative on that i had no idea it was a big surprise for me and uh i want to thank you guys this has been going far better than we expected and that only happens because people listen mm-hmm. and so i just want to thank you guys i mean i look forward to recording every week because we have a great audience we're getting good interaction with you guys it's just been a great time this so. is the typical, like, this show doesn't exist without you, person listening right now. And it means a lot that we get to produce a product that you guys then get to enjoy. I look forward to it every week. Yep. It's, so. you know, it's one of those things that we were kind of scared of it becoming a chore. It's always fun when it's new. Everything you do when it's brand new is fun. You start a new job and it's fun. And, you know, after the first week, the second week, the second month, the third month, things kind of start to get dull and they get like it becomes a job. And this hasn't become a job yet. It's still, I wake up. Tuesday morning when we record, excited to grab my bag, get my stuff packed up. Can't wait to get done with work. Come over, see Matt, sit and talk about magic for a couple hours. I've heard this a lot. I've never played it. But one of the things people that play fantasy football have always told me is it makes football interesting again mm-hmm. because it it gives it gets you invested again. And this podcast has really like dialed magic up a lot for me where like I'm excited to check the news because like I'm checking it every day. I'm reading forums every day. I'm I'm like burying myself in magic a because i'm interested in it but b because i it gives me something to talk about like Mm -hmm. i'm excited like i spend the like every week you know several hours a day prepping for the podcast just to you know so i don't come on here and sound like an idiot we want to be able to speak intelligently as as well as we can on the topics we discuss so it's it's really kind of just it's like lit a fire under me under me as far as matt yeah thanks that's all i want to say as far as getting going 
while we're doing plugs before we cover our our last week, I do want to give a shout out to um, my brother in law. Johnny has a really cool Twitch channel, and he he reps us on his channel all the time. And so I told him I like watching his channel. It's called Green Bean Guardian on Twitch. It's twitch.tv forward slash Green Bean Guardian. It's the kind of stuff that I think a lot of our our fans would watch. It's mostly retro games. Yep. He plays lots of really cool retro games. Some of the old Pokemon games. He's played Animal Crossing. A lot of stuff, uh, Guilty Gear, a lot of stuff I don't recognize because I wasn't alive when it came out. But he just has a really fun, like, positive community he's kind of cultivated. And anyone who's looking for more, like, Twitch-related content they want to check out, he streams, like, three or four days a week. And I want to give him a shout-out. He's a good guy, and he puts up a good show. I love retro games at this point. I think most of our listeners probably know that about me. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of which, I've kind of dialed back Diablo 2 a little bit. I've been playing Gloomhaven some more. Um, a buddy of mine uh, online, lives, yeah, Gloomhaven Digital on Steam went live. Been playing that a lot because we played Gloomhaven quite a bit in 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 physical. Yeah. Like you own the the physical yep. game. I wouldn't say for four or five months we had it every Sunday. Play yeah, Gloomhaven. I mean we've, we've gotten we got pretty far into it. I think we were all maxed out. And, yeah, like we were all either level eight or level nine. Like yeah. bard levels very soothing. Well, I'm like your wife and my wife have both started new characters. Yeah. Like, I mean, we obviously haven't beaten the game, but we got our hours yep. in. So and now you've picked it up on the online version. Yep. Now we've kind of pivoted to the digital version and it really takes the worst part about Gloomhaven out of the game. So Gloomhaven mm-hmm. is, it's not as complex as magic as far as the rules go, but as far as a board game goes, it's almost like playing a game of like, mm-hmm. it's a very detailed, like there's monster AI that dictates how the monsters work. And in the board game, you have to manually do all that stuff. And that can kind of bog games down. So like running a dungeon will take an hour or more because you have to move all the monsters and stuff. The digital version does all that for you. Mm-hmm. It sets up the board. It it automates <laughs> all the cards that flip. Like you just... It's kind of like Arena. Yeah. Like, it, like Magic can be a clunky game with a lot of things happening. And Arena just stacks it all up on the right side of the screen and makes it happen. With Magic... Like the difference in paper is like you want to know that stuff mm-hmm. because it's, the rules are very important to winning because being able to effectively use the rules in your favor yep. with the way card interactions work is a big part of the game. With Gloomhaven, it's the opposite. You want to be able to play the game, but the rules often get in the mm-hmm. So like if you flip a couple cards and you have advantage, did you know, Jake, if you have advantage and you have rolling cards in your card deck, this is going to go over a lot of people's heads. You can actually critically miss with advantage. In Gloomhaven. Does it consider any buff you hit with a roll superior to the other hit? If there's amb- ambiguity, the game actually has a mechanism to decide whether, rather than letting the player decide. Gotcha. So, like, advantage isn't always a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, weird, so, so, like, stuff like that. To, to break down what he's talking about, in the game, you flip a deck, and that describes how much extra damage you do, essentially. Yep. And if you have advantage, you get to flip two of these cards. So, one card might say plus one point of damage, and one card might say plus two. But essentially, with some weird modifiers in the deck that have you flip extra cards, you can flip a plus one. And then on your second roll, flip a certain card that has you flip another card, flip a critical miss, and now you've missed even though you had. Yeah, even though you have advantage. Because of weird rules interactions. Yep. I'm sure something everyone can relate to on this podcast. Yep. And it's one of the things where playing Gloomhaven is kind of like playing middle school magic where no one actually plays the rules correctly. Mm -hmm. Because there's so many rules. Like if if I told you, you have advantage, so you get to flip two cards and pick the better of them in your head critically missing is never the better one right well within the game within the rules of the game that's not necessarily true Mm -hmm. so it's just been nice to get all that background stuff out of the way and play what is effectively a very good tactics game yeah 
So you have, you know, uh, it's turn by turn. It's turn combat. by turn combat. You have a, a field with uh, these are hexagonal spaces and whatnot. So we don't need to go, you know, super yep. in deep with Gloomhaven. But the Gloomhaven Digital really allows it. It has yep. elevated the game. And I will say at least the paper version, because that's what I've played, is a very fun and thought provoking game once you learn the rule set. Yeah, it's Gloomhaven is like D&D super light. There's mm-hmm. not as many rules. The characters aren't as complex. Yep. You don't have as much customization. I would say as far as difficulty goes, think more like a Dark Souls game. Correct. It can be very punishing and difficult. Yes. But the mechanics can be very D&D-esque. And there's magic and spells there's and whatnot. D&D. The cool thing is, is so a lot of people, it's kind of, it's more like running like the pre-built scenarios in D&D than it is like having your GM make your own, make mm-hmm. his own. So, you know, there's scenarios, there's a pre-written storyline that you read through. So like you're playing through Gloomhaven and there are characters you're interacting with. It's kind of like doing those, forget what they're called in D&D, play D&D much. Modules, I guess. Mm, modules, yeah. Yeah, so you, you know, you Castle Ravenloft or whatever it is, like that's a module. Yeah, yeah, like the, you, a pre-bought book and it yeah. runs you through it. Very similar to that, which yep. is different it, rules. They're almost all like they're pre-established scenarios. And a lot of times you're drawing from a random deck for like um, road encounters or yep. things like that. A lot of randomness happens, but it's all kind of scripted a little bit behind it. So check out Gloomhaven. But yeah, how about you, Jake? What do you do? What do you do this week? Uh, as far as me this week, I got back into rock climbing and I'm really excited about that. We're going to lose that gut. That's the goal. <laughs> <laughs> me and my wife on our first date actually went rock climbing. It was a weird uh, sequence of events that left me making a trip to Indy by myself. And I had recently met my wife at a party and she lived in Indy. So she agreed to come out with me. And we went had a wonderful time climbing. She fell in love with climbing. We started to fall in love with each other. We quickly started climbing a lot together. And then COVID came in and that, that, was, that wasn't soon after that. But COVID came in and kind of locked climbing down. Yep. You know, climbing is a relatively dirty thing where we're all next to each other, breathing really hard. Inside. And there's only... If you're lucky, one place in your town that will have a rock climbing wall. Yeah, like so. rock climbing, especially in Indiana, isn't like super duper popular to where it's everywhere. Because it's, it's literally flat. <laughs> There's nowhere to go. You got to leave the state to go rock Speaking climbing. Speaking of weird things, did you know? Did you know it is illegal in Indiana to rock climb outside? I did not. That's if, kind of funny. If you find a, a mountain, out, it's illegal. Rock climbing is uh, on the books illegal. But when COVID came through and shut everything down, um, rock climbing was one of the first things to go and one of the last things to come back because there's no way to do rock climbing in a way that is COVID responsible. Yep. Um, it's very physically taxing. You can't be wearing a mask. Wearing a mask is absurd. And on top of we're just sweaty and touching the same holds and the same rope. And so it just it, it was gone. And it was one of those things where we just can't do it. And it is what it is. And we ended up finding out that one of our local gyms is opened back up. They've actually opened up under new management which is really cool i used to climb at the purdue wall a lot and i knew almost everybody there i climbed i was there five days a week sometimes one of the guys who used to manage the purdue wall has bought this company oh that's this this climbing wall um changed a lot of it cleaned a lot of it up has changed a lot of the rules systems about it and got it to kind of mirror the way the purdue wall was run which was phenomenal Mm -hmm. and has quickly cultivated a very tight group of people that climb there so we went there for the first time on like Thursday or whatever, Planned there for like two hours, immediately bought memberships. We went back Sunday, had a blast. So it's going to be a regular thing for us. And so I'm really excited to get back into climbing and just make it a part of my regular life again. I'll probably never get back to where as good as I was for any climbers out there. I used to do indoor climbing around like 11A, 11B. And that was with, you know, climbing four or five days a week and doing workouts on the off days. I mean, you remember I used to talk yep. about I would climb like Monday, Wednesday, Friday and Sunday. And then the off days, I would do pull-ups and and uh, 
do pull-ups with your fingertips and yeah fingertip pull-ups like and ab workouts on the off days and i will probably not be doing that intensive workouts anymore but hopefully we'll see how far we can get back i'd like to get back into the the high tens 10 b's 10 c's matt was there anything else you wanted to cover through our daily no, life i think we're ready to hop into the uh gotcha the challenges for this week challenges you have two challenges well, for legacy well i have one. Oh, okay. you have two yeah <laughs> so nope how's legacy looking matt this has got to be one of the worst results as the top 32 we've seen in a while. gotcha We've got seven uh, blue-red Delver decks. There's a couple. There's a variation. There's now Zoomer Delver and uh, regular blue-red Delver. And we can go. We'll go over that in a minute. See, I don't write it off because they're pretty different now. Yeah, they they are. I mean, they're different in the sense that they drop a card and pick up a different. Card. That that's the fundamental change. They uh, they play differently. They play very differently. I'm not denying that. But when we're talking the about deck structure is similar. I get yeah, you. When we're talking about three of the four cards that are arguably bannable, they each run. Oh yeah, of course. They run. They each run three. Yeah. We basically <laughs> we swap DRC for Urza Saga yeah. and try to play a different game. If you're not playing MH2, are you even trying? Right. And then on top of that, we've got another three Jeskai Rat. Mm-hmm. So ten of the top thirty-two at minimum are running the Modern Horizon two threats. Yep. So I mean, the, this is so our new podcast is going to be Modern Horizon Cartel. Yep. And we'll be we'll be releasing episodes on Wednesdays. Right. We'll call it Monkey Cartel. Monkey Cartel. There you go. <laughs> So we'll just go through the list like we always do. Uh, Jeskai Ragavan 1. Again, these are pretty what, standard One of Julian's lists. favorite decks. Yep. Um, and in my opinion, probably one of the superior lists. I was, I've always been on the bandwagon that I thought Jeskai was the, the most just, powerful. Jeskai Ragavan allows you to run all five of the broken cards. Yep. So you've got Ragavan, DRC, Murktide, Urza Saga, and Prismatican. I think Urza Saga is a little wishy-washy in there because the mana base is a little stretched, but... Most of them still run it. It's yeah. it's just the upside is too big. Every now and then you'll get wasted out or whatever. Yeah. You but, get the option to run as many broken cards. And, you know, don't forget Expressive Iteration, Force yeah. of Negation. The beautiful thing about it to me <laughs> is, like, it doesn't really matter if Urza Saga stretches your mana base that much because if they're wasting your Volcanic Island, you just play Urza Saga. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Like... Just for fun, because again, we talked with Julian about how expensive these decks are. Do you have the deck pulled up? Uh, I don't have. I have the tabletop price. It's sixty five hundred dollars. Yeah, I was gonna say. Could you, yeah. Again, these prices vary. So you know, between ten and twenty percent, depending yeah. on who you buy it from or, or whatever. Fifty five hundred to seven thousand dollars. Yeah, this is a six Jeskai Ragavan, sixty five hundred dollars, eight hundred twenty tickets. Yeah, like let's just throw the best cards you can possibly yep. get into one deck, and then obviously win with it. Uh, next up, we've got Blue Red Delver, the aggro version. Yep. So it's just the three best threats, no Urza Saga. Probably your typical tempo. Yes. Like, is it tempo? It's is it tempo? Okay. After that, we've got somewhat spicy Bantlet. Uh, we've seen subtle variations of this. I was a excited few times. about this. So we've got it's a. Uh, blue, white, green control list. Mm-hmm. Instead of running some of the typical cards, we've got four exploration, four life from the loam, and wasteland in it. Mm-hmm. It's so weird to me to see days and life from the loam in the same deck. Yep. Well, don't forget the four Urza Saga and the two Retrofitter Foundries. Correct. Their threat suite is Urza Saga and Uro. Mm-hmm. So you've got Urza Saga grabbing you Retrofitter Foundry, and then you've got Uro. That's it. And it's running days. Yep. <laughs> like that to me is just. He's obviously doing well. There's so many powerful cards in Legacy right now mm-hmm. that it's just, it's almost seems like within reason you can just kind of like puzzle them together yeah. and be like, well, I'm playing again, another super powerful card in Uro. We've got Prismatic Ending. We've got Brainstorm Ponder, obviously. Yep. I mean, Life from the Loam and Urza Saga were Life made from to the be Loam, played together. 
Correct. Life from the Loman and Urza Saga is ridiculous. Life from the Loman Wasteland is ridiculous, especially mm -hmm. given the current format, the way the format's uh, shaken out. And if you think about it, Life from the Loam draws you two potential win cons. Yeah. And that dredging Life from the Loam can hit an Uro or an Urza Saga. It's very strong in the deck. The, now you are sprinting through your deck. Another interesting thing about it, the deck did not main board any Force of Wills. Uh, it's got four Force of Wills and two Force of Negation in the side. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if... Plan A is to just lose the combo decks. We got days. In, I mean, in game one. Yeah. I, I'm not sure how you beat something like Storm or whatever or Show and Tell. Yep. So I think. But games two and three, you've got six forces. I think you're just dodging it. I think your yeah. plan. I, I think. It's one, a combination this, of dodging it and then. This deck's plan is to play um, Jeskai or is it Ragavan Delver? And I, we were, I was looking at the list and I thought it was really funny that all the forces are in the side. And I bet they stay there for most of your matchups because... Yeah, you bring them in for the combo deck. There's so few spells in this deck that are even worth countering. Right. I mean, yes, counter my Uro. I will play it again in two turns. Yeah, I don't need to... I don't need to protect it. Yep. All its threats are recursive. Yes. So I'm not I'm not using my force of will to protect my Uro. Mm -hmm. I'm going to let you hit it yep. with whatever you're going to do to it and then recast yeah. it. Yeah. I'll let you go down a card. Yeah. Or two cards. And then I'll, because that's a two for zero because my Uro is still there waiting. Yep. Um, life from the loam, unless you have force negation. Yes. Hitting my life from the loam is, it sets me back a turn, but I'm going to get it back next turn. You're still going down on cards. It's it's hilarious that force negation and force of will just don't really mesh well in this main board because you're not you're not fighting over anything. You, yep. You're not you're not using those to defend any of your stuff. Now you'll use it to stop their degenerativeness, but you're not scared at all to protect your stuff for the most part. Now, obviously, if you could have a force of will to protect that swords to plowshares, I mean that. Yeah. Yes. That you know, those will still a very the, good card. The ceiling is high, but obviously, um, we will give credit where credit is due for this spicy list. Thali that. It's not Thalia, it's Thalia misspelled. Um, really did a good job kind of realizing his deck isn't ready to, doesn't wanting to fight on going down on cards. This is a card advantage machine. And so we just cut him out altogether for an, into the side. So that was a really cool list. I talked to Matt about um, with Eternal Weekend coming up. I've been on the side kind of brewing a Jeskai um, back to basics deck, which probably won't see Eternal Weekend, but it'd be cool if I could get it tuned in time. And if I didn't, I was probably going to run a Bant control list. So I, I like playing Jeskai. I like playing Esper. I like playing Bant. But I didn't. And I think Bant is probably the most powerful of the three color control list. But I really didn't like how slow they were. Now, the lists have been changing a lot recently. But when I think of the Bant control list, I was thinking of the lists that were like regularly using Endurance to shuffle their own graveyard in. And if that's something you have to strongly consider, like you just need better threats. I don't like a deck that is that bad at winning sometimes. Yeah. So I like to close out games quickly. Yes. And this deck embodies that with just more ways to close out games and more ways to find them Yep. where, you know, your brainstorm may find one or two of your things. Your ponder may find your Uro, but life from the loam is going to find Uro and Urza saga, maybe in the same turn. Right. So that was really cool. I really like seeing this list. I'm yeah, sorry, Matt. It was, no, you're fine. It was, it's a good deck. Next up, we've got Four Color Zenith. Uh, this is a deck we kind of talked about a little bit last week with Julian. Uh, there's a lot of meat in this. So this is the meat, the yep. meat pie, the meat pie of um, legacy. Yep. You're always drawing cards you want to play. Mm -hmm. Don't look for anything particular. Just draw good cards and play them. I, I think I agree with Julian that I probably wouldn't enjoy playing this as much because I like having a, a, a plan to follow. Yeah. Um, and this is kind of a good stuff pile where you oh, everything you draw is relatively good and you're going to make the most of it you can. But probably not my style of deck, but a, a cool deck. After that, in fifth, we've got Jeskai Ragavan. Uh, and then we've got Doomsday. No surprise there. Doomsday's probably one of the best combo decks 
currently it's very clearly the best combo deck. I think so. I think I, Doomsday and my I think Doomsday and Elves fall under the decks that they are probably some of the best decks in the format, almost bar none, as far as like combo e tile goes. But they're too hard for the majority of people to play, and it's it's one of those things that most people and I'll throw my hat in this ring are not excited to lose with a deck forty times in a row to start figuring it out. And that's kind of what I've played a little bit of Doomsday and I played a little bit of Elves. You got to do a lot of losing before you realize where all your mistakes are. Um, I, the alternative would be, I guess, if you watch you know twenty hours of Doomsday content on YouTube or Twitch. But short of that, you it takes time. Yep, and that's what, that's well, what that's, keeps people out. That's of it. how you actually start. I mean, that's basically what I did with elves. Is yeah. Before I played my first game with elves, I had watched every video I could. Who'd you always watch? Uh, that Julian guy. Oh, that Julian guy. Okay. Yeah. So, It'd be really cool and, to get to talk to and him. And then I started playing because yep. it was just like you know obviously and I'm gold fishing there and I'm analyzing his matchups and whatnot. What I was doing is I'd watch him play and I'd try to predict what he was going to do mm -hmm. and how the game was going. And once I got to the point where I was accurately predicting what was going to happen that's when i knew i was ready to start actually like really playing it and you know going to tournaments and get my reps in yep but um it takes time uh, and to be perfectly honest i think it's rude to go to a tournament and not have any idea how to play your deck yeah uh, that's slow play i can't stand it like you you don't have to be the best plat magic player in the world but you don't get to show up with a complicated deck and not know what you're tutoring for when you yeah like People, you, you shouldn't be wasting people's time yep. in a game where we share a clock. Yeah, that's the big thing. Is it's yeah. not it is it isn't the chess clock online. It's right. the round is over in five minutes. Yeah, so you don't get to slow play your opponents because yep. you wanted to learn how to play elves. And doomsday when you can easily up. be a slow play deck. Where yeah. I mean, building those doomsday piles is hard. You know, absolutely. But again, um, a really powerful deck that not a lot of people play. After that, in sixth place, or sorry, sixth place was doomsday. Seventh place, we've got a bug amalgam. This thing. Is this bug meat pie? No, it's running counterbalance. What is it's this? It's running counterbalance, days, him to Turok, <laughs> Witherbloom Command, Assassin's Trophy. In the main. All in the main, along with Leovold, Tarmogoyf, Brazen Borrower, Uro, and Jace. <laughs> this looks like an EDH. <laughs> this is uh this is bug trade binder. <laughs> yes. So this list is bonkers. And I can see how it would win games. I mean, every single one of those cards we talked about. Did you is say good. spell pierce? Yes, absolutely. two spell pierce in the main. Two spell pierce in the main. Guys, spell pierce is playable again. I don't know what you would call this. It, it's obviously bug mid range <laughs> counterbalance. Is that good with brainstorm? This is just like brainstorm two wastelands. Yeah, I I know. So <laughs> it's this deck is this deck's crazy. Yeah. So good good on you, this, uh, Gennardi. This strikes me again as a meat pie deck where like each one of these cards individually is probably good to have in your hand. I mean, it's it's rarely bad to have a ponder or have an assassin's trophy Sun or a hymn to Turok or an edict <laughs> or Witherbloom Command. Witherbloom Command, a lot of people probably don't know. I've played against it and I've played with it. And a deceptively powerful card. Yep. Uh, um, Elves are starting to pick it up in the sideboard. It's almost it's pretty much guaranteed to be a two for one. So you had that Culligan Command effect. Now it's it's one in a, it's it's a black and a green at sorcery speed. So there's definitely some drawbacks there, but you uh, you get to choose two. So it's that it's the command uh, style. Target player mills three cards, and then you return a land card from your graveyard to your hand. Now, obviously, there's almost always a land card in this graveyard. I mean, at minimum, fetches. Yeah, you're fetching all the kinds. Yeah, of stuff. Yeah, that, that's your floor. Your yeah. floor is getting a fetch. Getting back. a fetch back. So you're 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 going. You're getting a card back. Um, and you maybe and <laughs> super spicy tech against Doomsday. They cannot pass. <laughs> <laughs> be so funny <laughs> doomsday pass witherbloom command mill three cards good luck <laughs> so destroy target non uh non-creature non-land permanent with uh, cmc two or less 
which is most of them. Yep. Now, you can't hit uh, Thalia. You can't hit creatures. And that's the big one. But you can hit most of the onboard hate you ever want to worry about in a deck, whether that well, be... Well, the big thing, you can hit Urza... Uh, you can hit stuff, not Urza Saga, but the, the artifacts it's fetching yep. out. Whatever Urza Saga gets, you can hit things like Rest in Peace. You can hit things like uh, Pithing Needle. There's a lot of relevant targets. There's a bunch of targets. And there isn't always going to be one, but that's why it's one of four options. Right. You can give target creature minus three, minus one until end of turn, which kills a lot yep. of relevant creatures in the meta. That's how you're killing most of your actual creatures. Yeah. Again, Thalia, gone. Uh, Anything unflip from Delver, unflip DR, or, uh, undone D- DRC, um, uh, Ragavan. Most of the stuff in Legacy that comes down early in the game is an X1 and it's gone. Or you can have target opponent lose two life and you gain two life. Obviously, nobody wants that, not particularly, but that's your floor. Yeah, that's your floor, the floor is a four life swing. And I mean, I don't know how much how much legacy you've played. There's been plenty of times where two life was the difference between winning and losing. So a really cool, flexible card that did not see a lot of love when Strixhaven came out and is finally starting to work its way back in. Not back in, work its way in for the first time. Ugh, it's got Plague Engineer. Get out of here. Yeah. For the first <laughs> not, time in months, we've you seen- You guys aren't supposed to be playing black. <laughs> Plague Engineer's making it back in. Well, they've got to run Plague Engineer because who came in eighth place? Yeah, the Matt? next up, we've got Elves. Yep. Um, and you know why he didn't win? He probably played- Because Plague guy Engineer. had Plague Engineer. Yeah. I know. Well, that's don't get me wrong. He absolutely should be playing Plague Engineer. I just don't like it. Yep. So stop it. Yep. This elves list in particular is got a couple spicy things in it. So it's not uh, people have been splashing white in elves for Archon of Valor's Reach for a while now. That's not uncommon. It's a very good card. You basically take out a Crater Hoof Behemoth and that's your other uh, natural order target. Mm-hmm. Uh, the cool thing about Archon is he's very e- he's far easier to Green Sun Zenith out. Archon's probably weird enough. What's Archon do? He so, might, people might not know Archon that. of Valor's Reach is four uh, generic, one green and one white for a five-six flying vigilance trample. When it uh, enters the battlefield, choose an, choose artifact, enchantment, instant sorcery, or planeswalker. Players can't cast spells of the chosen type. Gotcha. So there's there's all kinds of instances in which that is relevant. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're playing against most storm lists, a resolved sorcery that on with sorcery is just game over in game one. Mm-hmm. it's great against control lists. You basically pick what you would lose to. They can't cast it. There's all kinds of things to do. The biggest thing, though, is this card. It's so good and grindy, man. Mm-hmm. Like, if you can just combo off quickly, you're going to get Crater Hoof anyways. But when you can go, hey, I'm going to make a 5-6, and, oh, you only run... Let's see, you've got Swords to Plowshares and Prismatic Ending, so Prismatic Ending realistically isn't going to hit it. So I'm going to name Instant, I mean, and you don't have a way to deal with this card. It's not realistically. It literally can't. This yeah. is 6 CMC. That's what I mean. Like, you can't kill it with Prismatic yep. Ending, so I don't need, need to name Sorcery. Mm-hmm. You've only got Swords. I'm going to name Instant. Yep. And now I have a 5-6 Flying Vigilance Trample that you can't kill. Yeah. Presumably something like a 3-turn Clock. Correct. And, yeah, I've removed That's your removal spells. Very good in those matchups that go long. That's one of the reasons why, on top of all the, like, if it didn't have the utility aspect of it, again, I don't think it would see as much play, obviously, Mm -hmm. but the combination of all things, all those things together, make it a reasonable alternative to Crater Hoof. Now, once you've splashed white, that does open up your sideboard slot a little bit. This guy has, instead of running, I mean, he even, this is, this actually is spicy. There's no discard in his sideboard. Mm -hmm. That is pretty unusual. He's got black entirely. Correct. So we've got. Uh, other than Leyline of the Void, which again you don't typically cast. True. So 
you can in elves. It has actually yep. happened multiple times with me where it's just like, well, I mean, getting to four mana is not that hard in elves. Yep. So, and you got things like birch lore rangers that give you access correct. to black. I mean, I've hard cast progenitus before. It's sweet. <laughs> 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 it's not, I, I mean, guess, it's pretty rare, but it's, I shouldn't say cut black. They do have a grist in the main. Yeah. Like they, it's, it's still got some black in there, but the primary cards that they're running black for thought sees cabal therapies kind of falling out of favor, abrupt decay, assassin's trophy, that kind of thing. And they've cut almost all of that. So we've got deafening silence, swords to plowshares as your, I mean, those are the white cards for your yep. sideboard. Um, then we've got endurance, force of vigor, got graveyard hate, <laughs> artifact hate, that kind of stuff. Can you tell Matt's an elves player as he goes through card by card the elf deck in yeah. eighth? <laughs> Hey, we talked about yeah, all kinds of stuff. Absolutely. Well, this is this is actually like it's not very often where people do well with like major changes to an established uh -huh. deck. So it's it this is notable. Mm -hmm. Um, like I mean, his sideboard has three cards in it that mine does. Like that's a yeah, that's a big change. Twelve card change because yeah, the elves sideboard is usually relatively stacked. Right. So we've got Progenitus and Layla and two Layla in the way. Those are the only three cards mm -hmm. in his sideboard that has the mind. So this is a really interesting list. I'm going to be curious if this kind of thing has legs. Uh, nice thing is I already have my Savannah. I used to run the Archon uh, build for a while. I never splashed white. I never used the white for like a lot of sideboarding cards. Mm -hmm. and I'm just a big I I like the upside of the discard more because there's added aside from like picking off their one thing. I like seeing their hand, all that kind of stuff. There's just yeah. a lot of. Thoughtseize is a great card. I don't like giving it up. That's basically what it boils down. So yeah, we've got some, and it does have Bajuka Bog in the main. Well, we we, do, we we have the Reclaimer package in place of the Nether right. Sentinels. Correct. So it, And with that comes a fetch board of lands. Correct. So we're not going to try to, we're not leaning as hard into the Glimpse Kill. And so we're going to have a little bit better of a yep, the grindy. grindy. Just which, a interesting list. Yeah, that's cool. You want to you give us a quick run through of some of the relevant cards? Do like top fives because they're yeah. probably the same. So we'll do the decks real quick. Again, Is It Delver got seven of the top 32. Jeskai Ragavan with another three. So a total of 10 using really abusing the Modern Horizon 2 threats. Elves has three copies. So that's yeah. the next highest individual deck. Most played cards. This is going to sound real familiar here. Brainder. Brainstorm. Brainder. Brainder. <laughs> Brainder well Firster. Ponder. Yeah. Uh, we got Brainstorm, Force of Will, Ponder, Ragavan, Swords of Plowshares. Yep. Hey, Day's gotten sixth, not second. Well, Days is starting to see almost absurd levels of play. It'd be one thing with Days if tempo decks were everywhere, and that's why it was seeing play. Days is in like a bunch of combo decks, a bunch mm -hmm. of control decks now, mid rangey decks. It's just every. I think people are starting to see the power of yeah. Days beyond what it can be used for in a tempo. I show. was always of the opinion that Days is just one of those like free counter spells that should go on everything, and you kind of always locked me back that it has a place in tempo decks because there's a real cost to picking a land there up. Are. And there are, but with think, the power of magic increasing, it's becoming worth the cost. Correct. Well, that's, I think that's what's happening is the first two turns of legacy are more important now than they've ever been. Mm -hmm. So being able to get your opponent with a daze is super important. Yeah. Be prepared to be dazed by more than just tempo decks. It's yep. basically what it boils down to. Creatures, this should come as no surprise to anyone. Ragavan, Murktide Regent, Dragon Rage Chandler, Elvish Reclaimer, Endurance. Mm-hmm. Spells are basically the same top five. Brainstorm, Force Will, Ponder, Swords, Days. Yep. Uh, the one thing we have, I cannot, I can't not mention that. Brainstorm is in 69% of the decks in the top 30. <laughs> and nice. Force of Will's in 66. Ponder's in 66. And yep. we've been seeing some of these numbers similar to that. But like, it's getting to the point where like, I mean, we named our podcast Cantrip Cartel. I know, 
I know Brainstorm's not going anywhere. Something needs to be done. It mm -hmm. needs to be viable to play a non-blue fair deck in Legacy, and it just isn't. So I, we don't need to go into it, but mm -hmm. it, it just isn't really viable to play a non-blue fair deck if you're playing competitive, and that needs to change. That's on average, you know, obviously D and T right. goes out and wins, Elves goes out and wins, right. but on average, well, the well, Elves I would consider a non-fair deck. I mean, I'm trying to natural order. That's list. true. That's true. D and T is the one deck that's specifically designed to beat those decks. Yeah. So like those are those are your two big ones. Yep. The community is has spoken and it's leaning towards brainstorm. And and it has obviously you know it's brainstorm. We all know when we're talking about this stuff that what that card does, how prevalent it is, how powerful it is. We know that it's not going anywhere. But for the love of God, can we do something so like somebody could play a Maverick deck? Coming. I mean, could you imagine showing up in this field with Maverick? Nope. Now, don't get me wrong. People play similar lists. They look on the surface similar, but they're running Dark Depths. Mm -hmm. Like, Maverick didn't used to run Dark Depths. Yeah, it's green-white depth. They need a combo package. Right, because you can't outfare blue decks. Yeah. So, uh, that's all we'll say about that. So about the, the last thing we need to mention here on as far as Legacy goes is Eternal Weekend is uh, the next two weekends. Jake, you know you've got the schedule in front of you or something, right? Well, this this coming weekend, so uh, the 19th and 20th are going to be the legacies. The legacies. I don't have the times pulled up. Um, I want to say Friday is something like 10 a.m. Pacific Standard. I think Saturday is 1 a.m. Pacific Standard. And I think Sunday, or no, Sunday is the 10 a.m. So Sunday is the like United States time zone gotcha. one. So I'm not sure what Friday Yeah, because they kind of break the time zones down so people the, in different regions yes. and countries can pl all they, have a decent... They're meant to hit, I believe, the States, Europe, and the Asia scene. The intention isn't that people from the U.S. have access to... Ease, easy access to all three. Correct. You, in the same you, you way got that... one very easy one for each major region. The people in Europe don't necessarily have easy access to the Sunday game. Yeah. But, for so example... if you want to play in all three, you're going to lose some yeah. sleep. On Saturday, I plan on getting up at... I, I think it's around uh, like 3 or 4 o'clock Eastern standard in the morning mm -hmm. so i plan on getting up at like 2 33 in the morning and playing magic until you know hopefully three or four in the afternoon right. if i do well yeah you know i'm i don't want to play on sunday and i don't want to play on i can't play on friday so now since we've brought that up while we're on it you can now buy your event your entry fees into mm -hmm. this right and That's with correct. that you get a god token am i correct that yeah, you get a god account yeah you get a god account yep go so, over that jake so uh for 25 dollars in the mtgo store there is a Eternal Weekend event token that buys you entry to one event. So, for example, you could use that token to enter Friday Legacy event. If you want to enter the Saturday Legacy event, you must buy another token. Yep. So if you want to play in all three, it's 75 bucks. Exactly. But just buying one gives you a God account until, I believe, December 1st. I so, think so you log in. I think it in. expires on the 1st, yeah. Yes. So you log in, you pay your 25 bucks, you buy the token, you log out, log back in, and you will have access to almost every single card in the game. I believe the only things you do not get access to are the unique um, secret layer cards. So gotcha. things like Rick's Steadfast Leader and things like that. But you get access to 99.999% of cards legal, well, that exist in Magic online. And you get to use those cards, uh, obviously for deck building, obviously for the free free queue, but you can take them into uh, challenges. You can take them into leagues. You can do anything you want in them. So what this essentially is, is this is full proxy um, MTGO, you get to do whatever you want for a couple yep, weeks, and basically. it is by far, bar none, the best time to get into MTGO and get into any format you want. Yeah, this would be a great time to be like, wow, I've always thought about picking up Modern. Yep. Chuck 25 bucks at it. Exactly. Play 
whatever you want, figure yes. out whether or not you like it or not. And then if you don't, you bail. And if yep. so, you can just pick up you, you your know, deck and you've played it some. A lot of things like Legacy and Modern, uh, the best decks are outside of the what I would consider the average tier of rental service. Yeah. I have a middle tier rental service where I can rent up to like 480 tickets worth of cards. And I cannot rent many decks in Legacy and Modern. Yeah, that won't get you almost any of the... The vast majority of them. The vast majority of the top thirty. I'll tell you. I'll take it one step further. I own Force of Wills and all the fetch lands on MTGO, and I still can't rent a lot of these decks in their perfect form. Yep. So this is this is the this is as good as it gets to try out anything. Vintage, modern, standard, whatever. Pioneer. Yeah, pioneers on MTGO. Yeah, anything. Try anything. So I highly recommend anyone that's got twenty five bucks to spare and two weeks to play some Magic. Hop on. Get you a token, and you you don't have to enter the event. Just get you a token. Get a God account. And play to your heart's content on MTGO with some busted cards that are essentially free for two weeks. Yeah, this uh, this coming Sunday's challenge is probably going to be, pr- or this actually cool, not this Sunday, because this Sunday is the actual Legacy yes. Tournaments. The next gotcha. Legacy Challenge is going to be ugly. <laughs> I should cover. So we talked about this coming weekend is Eternal Weekend. So it, when this episode comes out, like three, uh, well, be tomorrow would be Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Next weekend is vintage, right? Is vintage. And so now I don't play a lot of vintage. I do consume some vintage content and I've heard some people talking about it. I will say from a third party view that vintage is supposed to be in a very good place right now. There's a lot of fun decks. The outside looking in, it looks the outside right. looking in vintage is supposedly very good. So I highly recommend. Um, it's been a while since I've heard that. <laughs> vintage has had some Usually shenanigans. You have going some on. problems with the blue Xerox decks just being the best thing bar none. And, and we're not there yet. And it's hilarious when we have to talk about decks that are too broken for vintage. Yep. <laughs> even so I've heard even that the um our guy in Belgium is gonna be really excited. Yeah. So again, all of this is third party. Like I'm I've things I've heard, so I'm sorry if I suck. Yeah, Feel free well, to message just, in. The fact of the matter is we are effectively priced out of vintage. There's for no sure. way for not online. I, I have played yeah, online on, as fun. Online, but the Power Nine is yeah, not. Like, super I mean, expensive. I still maintain the dream of playing Paper Legacy. I'm not selling my house to buy a vintage deck. Anyway, supposedly the Xerox decks, which is your blue soup deck, yep. that's what they call their Xerox because they're almost all the same. Yep, as, so the, the stuff running the cantrip. It has cartel. been split into like three or four distinctly different Xerox decks, and that is in part um, what I think has helped the the format a lot, the meta in that. Obviously, there's tons of other decks. There's still um, Mystery Factory deck, or not Mystery Factory uh, Workshop Workshop decks. There's still Oath of Druid decks. There's still Bug Control decks. And Dredge is still a thing, huh? Is Dredge still a thing? There's still crazy good Dredge decks say, with Bizarre Baghdad. Yes, Dredge is still a thing. And um, Xerox has been split up so much that, like, that really what used to be the vast majority of the meta now being broken into four different sub archetypes that has, people seem to be okay with that see that, that people are eager to play and are doing good has really helped to diversify the meta quite a bit so i'm and i've i've played in a couple man traders events for vintage it's fun I, if you want to look up in my opinion one of the best vintage content creators that i have consumed is i am level one on twitch he has very good uh, vintage content he's one of the best vintage players on mtgo he's very active about getting the community involved and helping get people into it so he writes lots of articles he does lots of videos on how to play vintage and what decks to try i highly recommend you check him out i can't remember his his real world name right now but i am actually level one is his twitch name he's everywhere you'll you'll find him that's one of the beautiful things about mtgo is vintage is just i mean it's effectively a dead format yeah it is it's so and like on MTGO, it's cheaper than Legacy. So for twenty five bucks, you could play Vintage yeah. for the next two weeks. Yep. That's cool, and that's the thing. Vintage seems even scarier to enter for most people than Legacy. Mm-hmm. You just have to look at it as an online format, 
and it's going to have all the same problems that the rest of the formats have well, with Moto. But I think one of the things that is also very intimidating to people is the absurd power it, of vintage. Yeah, I was getting at that. Like okay. it has a lot of the same problems, but if you can take away the I have to spend a hundred thousand dollars on a deck because mm-hmm. that just rules out almost everyone. Then you're just left with the problem of this is a very powerful, complicated format, mm-hmm. and that is something that it's one thing to keep people. So it's it's something I've I uh, I watched a fair amount of vintage when paradoxical paradoxical outcome decks were really popular because I saw that card and I just fell in love. Yeah. I love that card. It is so cool. It's exactly what I want to be doing in Magic. Yep. It's a, to me, it's a perfectly designed card. For people that don't know, PO, paradoxical, which a lot of decks are called PO decks, yeah. paradoxical outcome. It's three and a blue. Um, I'm going to, off the top of my head, I believe you get to pick up any number of any number of artifacts, artifacts you can return them to your hand. You draw and a card for each, for each one. one. So that obviously gets incredibly broken once you get things like free mocks. So right. mox sapphire, mox diamond, yep. or, you know, not mox all diamond, the moxes, mox pearl, mox mox emerald. Yep. And then black lotus. There's obviously other things you can be uh, uh, soul ring, mana crypt. You can be bouncing four or five artifacts. You're generating mana doing it, and quite often drawing into your next PO. Right. So go through your entire deck. That that card is yep. Just now incredibly cool. There is the huge stigma that um, vintage is a turn one, turn two format, and that's wrong. Are there decks that went Legacy on turn two? Legacy has that as well, yeah. and that's also wrong. Yeah. Like, are there decks that went on turn two? Yes, there are. Is it consistent? No, it is not. Because all the decks that exist in Vintage, they come prepared to beat the deck that wants to win on turn two when it does. Correct. Case in point, I pulled up the Vintage Challenge from, I believe, Sunday. Best deck was a uh, was a white-green stacks deck. So things like uh, Thalia, I believe it has the... Uh, so you're telling me Vintage gets to play, play fair non-green decks and Legacy doesn't? Right now, yeah. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> do you know why? Ponder, Brainstorm, pre They're all restricted. They're restricted. You get one. Yep. Um, but things like uh, Thalia, Heretic, Cathar, Archon of Ameria, Thalia, Normal Thalia, yep. Stoneforge, uh, Luminarch Aspirant, Noble Hierarch. This deck. So in, it's it's Maverick with Black Lotus. It's Maverick with Black Lotus. So this deck in paper, $66,000. On Arena, or on Arena, on MTGO, 428 tickets. That's half the. That's half of what Just Guy Ragaman yep. called. Now, in fairness, on this, I've seen some, like, there's a 900 ticket, there's an 800 ticket, but... We're talking in the realm of yeah, legacy. Well, decks. I'll say top eight. Um, I'm just going to read numbers. 428, 443, 410, 820, 900, 625, 690. Those are all tickets. And those are all rentable with a those are rentable mid-level with, mana trader kind of thing. Those are rentable with, you know, most of those are rentable with mid-level, mid-level mana trader type things, or if you have a small, a medium collection. Like me... Owning some forces, owning some fetches, that brings a lot of those really into. Yeah. And again, a lot of those are also rentable if you cut one or two cards. A lot of times you'll look at those lists and maybe, you know, a, like a full set of sideboard surgicals is like, I think, $80, 80 tickets. So you can start cutting, um, you can start cutting one or two cards, weaken your deck a little bit and make a lot more decks rentable. Vintage is fun. Like if you've never touched vintage, I remember when I started playing online, you see or MTGO, you see the vintage tab and that's just like, that's the, (laughs) I'll tell you what it felt like. That felt like the red light district where like, you don't go there. I can't afford that. And I don't belong there. I don't play vintage. Who plays vintage? Yeah. Hop online, watch some vintage content, probably pick up an oath of druids deck or a uh, workshops deck and have some fun. It's 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 crazy. You do some crazy you get cool to do stuff. The most broken things you can yep. do. If you want to get super deep into it, just like I mean, if you're listening to this, whatever magic format you play, and you get super deep into and you learn it amazingly well, you get amazingly better. Yep. Vintage is the same. You spend six months learning it, you'll be way better off for it in terms of playing vintage. But you can totally pick up some relatively simple decks 
play some crazy matchups and have a ton of fun. Highly recommend checking out Vintage if you haven't, especially if you've got a $25 coupon Correct. to play every single card in MTGO. Yeah. So we don't talk about Vintage very much on this, but we would be, it would be, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about it. This yeah, for it, sure. Eternal Weekend's coming up. Vintage is a format yep. in it. It's half of the event. Yep. Like, Vintage is a real format, guys. Everyone should go out there and check it out, especially when, again, you can pay 25 bucks and yep. play it to your heart's content. Yep. You'll get curb stop by some turn one Black Lotuses, but you'll also get to go turn one Time Walk so yeah, once you in a while. Get to do, you get to do it, too. Yeah, it's pretty so. fun. Well, now that we're done with Legacy and Vintage. And Vintage. Let's hop over to Modern. Yep. So we'll spend talking about Modern this week. Las Vegas is this weekend. Probably the biggest modern paper event of the year. Channel Fireball is hosting there. Essentially GP Vegas. It is not GP Vegas, but essentially. Yep, and they're not allowed to call it a Grand Prix. Yeah, but they're having an incredibly large event. A lot of the big names you've seen are going, and it's kind of, I'm kind of excited to see what decks they bring. And I think this is a great week. These challenges are a good opportunity to look at one more time what's good and what, if you're going, maybe you, I mean, if you're going, you should probably already have thought about what you're going to take by now. I mean, heck, it's Thursday when you're listening to this, but... I'm excited to see what decks come out of this. This is going to be the first large in-paper tournament we've had for modern, at least in the country. And I'm excited to see what comes out. So let's start with, was I Saturday challenge? First place was Belcher. We talked a couple weeks ago about Belcher coming in uh, in the top eight. I think Belcher won a couple weeks ago also. Yep. And it's just a cool deck to see. And we talked about, you know, it's time for people to start packing their Belcher hate. And this Saturday reinforces that. Don't sleep on Belcher, guys. It's a thing. It is it is a difficult combo to interact with, and it has some really powerful ways to power it out early. Even though we're in a format that doesn't have any fast mana, like you don't have Lotus Petal, you don't have Chrome Mox, you don't have Mox Diamond, you don't have a Simeon Spirit Guide. There's still plenty of ways to, to power this out with things like Strike It Rich, Strike it start rich. netting mana quickly. Uh, mana Morphos helps you move through your deck quickly, but Pyretic Ritual. Esper Ritual. A big pickup is Iron Crag Feet. One red, red, red. You get seven red mana, which perfectly pays four mana for a Garland Tar Belcher and then three to activate it. Um, the downside to Iron Crag Feet is you can only cast one spell this turn. One more spell. But what what spell would you cast then, Jake? Yeah, if I have <laughs> probably seven the mana Charbelcher. <laughs> and I only get to cast one more spell, I'm probably going to cast this Goblin Charbelcher card that, since I'm running no no lands, flips my deck and wins the game. The the coolest card, the one that kind of popped up on my radar from this deck is Infernal Purge or P Infernal Plunge. I don't know if you've seen this. It's just a one of, but it's it's Dark Ritual for red, but you have to sacrifice. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Yep. And then the uh, recross the paths is always the like, I mean, that's just the the money card you get right there where three mana to reveal your entire library and put it back however you want. Yep. Uh, incredibly powerful card. That's one of those that you don't you can't let resolve like you let that resolve. The game is almost certainly over right. unless you can kill them on the untap. So a cool deck. I'm People people put it in your head. Char Belcher's a thing. If you don't think about it, it's going to win more challenges. I promise. So in the second place. Mono blue Merfolk, which is really cool. Hells um, yeah, boys. So Merfolk got some definite real help with MH2, and we haven't seen it popping up as prevalently, and I'm really happy to see it become a um, a real contender. One thing to note, called it unsettled. Now all five of the elementals are seeing competitive yep. play in modern. Yeah, it's really, I mean, it's definitely by far, in my opinion, the weakest elemental. For sure. But, but the weakest of these incarnations is still is playable. still very good. Is it, is it a, uh, it's not a merfolk, is it? Nope. It's, so but it's, I mean, the beautiful thing, it's I think a, it's probably the best body. Like if you have to hard cast one yeah. to kill your opponent, a three, three flying flash for four is not bad. Yep. So, yeah. and the, you know, when every, you know, when everything, 
when everything in your deck is blue. I mean, it's 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 a very pitchable spell, and it hits. I'm I'm guessing what's gonna hit a lot of time is your prime times and your merc tides, because merc tides gonna end the game in two turns, and prime times gonna end the game in one turn. Right. But you're just I, gonna hit the I things mean, that absolutely seeing, cannot resolve. Yeah. And seeing four of them is a, is is real. And it's also cool to see the um, spelling of seeing sky. People were really unsure whether or not that was gonna be a like a real card in this mm-hmm. meta because it is three and three is kind of like three is on the upper end for merfolk. Like by the time you're casting your three drops, you really want them to be lords that are granting unblockable and giving your guys plus one, plus one, but spelling just with the ability to draw extra cards and protect your guys. I'm not surprised at all that it's, it's, it's as powerful as it should be as powerful as it is. I'm just happy to see it. It's pulling its own weight. The other fun card to see is tide shaper. There was a lot of, um, there was a lot of talk about tide shaper, even in legacy people were trying to make it work because the ability to basically for two mana, um, well for one and a blue, because if you kick it, yep. you get to turn one of your opponent's islands or lands into an island and make a two, two. You get to cut the, uh, what's that card called? Curse catcher. Well, there's a, there's curse an catcher enchantment was... that I found. Oh, spreading seas. Yeah. Spreading. Yeah. You get to cut spreading seas for a threat. And so, and you know, big. there's obviously tons of, there's tons of utility in this where, I mean, one, if your opponent's playing islands, it's just a one mana two, two. And, that's pretty cool, but it does so much more if you need it to. It locks your opponent off a of color if they don't if they can't use blue effectively. It also just kills Urza Saga. Yep. It's a two mana strip mine for Urza Saga that leaves you with a one one because once Urza Saga becomes an island, it now has more lore counters than chapters and it's immediately destroyed. So you know we saw some play of it or with it in Legacy. It didn't stick. I'm hoping it sticks in uh, the Merfolk list here in in Modern. So before we go to third. One quick thing. Look at this. You can buy the top two decks in this challenge for just over a thousand dollars in paper. paper. That's awesome. Yep. Yeah. This was not. This was not played. Uh, pay to win. Correct. On that's, the tournament. I mean, that's, that's and something Jake and I talk about all the time. Is the idea that you lost because your opponent spent more money on Magic is ludicrous. Guys yeah, playing a four hundred twenty-five dollar deck. Yep. In Modern and wins the challenge. Won the challenge. Won the Saturday challenge. And, and even to rent these two hundred seventy dollars. And two hundred thirty-five dollars, very rentable. Obviously, kind of expensive if you're paying money for fake cards, but very, very rentable. Well, the nice thing about that, I mean, they're they're just they're almost easier to sell back than they are paper. Like no shipping. Even if you buy them, you're basically renting them. Yep. Yeah, they're they're relatively easy to move. Either to sell them through bots or to sell them through something like card hoarder. I've sold I've sold hundreds of cards through card hoarder, buying and selling. Yep. And they just give you tickets, and you you can turn tickets into cash. Take a bit of a hit. That's what's selling anything, and you get your money out of them. Almost instantly. So third place, Azorius Control. In my opinion, I've been a a big proponent of Azorius being one of the most powerful uh, color combinations in modern, especially if we're going to talk control. And this is obviously exemplifying that with um, four solitude as our only creatures and then basically super friend tribal. You know, we're running all the planeswalkers we want to play to fairy time raveler because it's just a huge tempo win in terms of shutting things down, bouncing relevant spells. Nothing feels better than, you know, even if I'm on the draw, you play a turn three, drop a beater, and I go, cool, turn three, put that back in your hand, draw a card, your turn. And then just on top of shutting down things like Cascade, shutting down counter spells, shutting down end of turn, what anything. Like being able to lock your opponent into main phase one and main phase two, very powerful. And then Jace the Mind Sculptor and Teferi Hero of Dominaria to keep the value train going and potentially lock the game out, or not lock the game out, but move towards a victory. I love a deck that runs 25 lanes. Yep. That's me too. Important. I mean, when I play, I play, I like to, I like to play blue, white control and legacy. And I run, I think 21 or 22, 
which is, I mean, for Legacy, is a lot of well, lands. and that's the thing. If you look at the list, you don't have anything that we would traditionally call a cantrip. So they're not running Consider or nope. Serum Vengeance or anything. The the closest thing you're going to get is Archmage's Charm, which very often is your draw two. But yep. yeah, you don't get anything yeah, I mean, close to Ponder. I mean, you're paying three to draw two. Sorry, yeah. Yeah. Nothing compared to Brainstorm or Ponder. Yep. Uh, Memory Deluge is, is uh, pretty close to dig through time sometimes. Yeah, that's a pretty good card. So when you get the mana up there, it's pretty cool. It Obviously not in this list, but I've seen uh, Memory Deluge works stupidly good with, what's that three and a green you untap your lands at the end of the turn? Wilderness Reclamation. Yeah. Um, when you start getting into team your list like this, it's Memory Deluge feels like cheating when you get to untap your lands at the end of your end step. So tap for four, untap, tap three more, and then Deluge for seven. It's crazy. So fourth place, we've got Monogreen Amulet Titan. Cool to see Titan come back. He's definitely become a mainstay where he's putting one of the top eight every week now, but he's not so bad that like I don't think anything in him is bannable anymore. He's just he's a really just, strong deck. It's just one of the decks in the it's, format. That's you know, kind of where I think primetime players yeah, wanted it to be. It's, you, you, your 6-6 six, six is now, like he's very answerable in many ways. Unholy Heat takes him out. Solitude takes him out. The time it takes to you know usually get Primeval Titan out, your opponent has time to prepare an answer. And that's why this deck is not just dominating modern anymore, as it shouldn't. Yeah, either prepare an answer or just win the game. Yep. So, um, but then, but but when you're paying six mana for something, I, that's okay. The funny thing about this to me is like, there's been a lot of complaining about prime time in the past, like for years. For years, it even got a card banned, Summer Bloom, mm-hmm. the card that uh, lets you play three lands in one turn, Seems three good. additional lands in one turn. Um, very strong card. Probably needed to go with the time. The funny thing to me is it seems like we didn't need to ban a card. We just needed to wait for Modern Horizons 2 to power creep. Everything else. Yeah, so Primetime's a very powerful deck. We're just going to print some more cards, so Primetime's more in the middle. Yep. So we've, it's, he, he just kind of got, obviously nothing was banned, so I don't want I don't like using that word, but he kind of almost got like a soft ban, where yeah. it's just like, well, you're just not as good as you used to be. Yep. It's an interesting result of what's been happening mm-hmm. is... Instead of cards being banned, they're just not very good anymore. They're not. They're not. They're not they're good not enough as to dominate. Good. Correct. Yeah. So we're going long on time. So I'm going to rush through this and hop over to the Sunday challenge. Fifth place, four color Omnath. Uh, you know that's our two thousand dollar four color. Put everything good in one pile. This is uh, this is not the ephemerate ETV tribal. This is Super Friends tribal. So Ren and Six, both to fairies and Jace, along with all of your control and removal necessary. That's a hell of a lot of planeswalkers. Yep. <laughs> 13 planeswalkers value city i mean i mean have you ever looked across a table and seen two planeswalkers and just and not immediately be like this game is over i have lost yeah just go (sighs) and a funny turn of events this deck's running spreading seas (laughs) they get two activations a turn i'm done yeah between some of the most powerful planeswalkers ever printed sixth place hammer time it's hammer time seventh and eighth place two jund lists um every jund player is raising their hand in victory because jund is Sorry, to carry top people out. Yep, Jund is Junding. So good job, guys. I'm gonna pop over to uh, Sunday Challenge and try and move through it quickly. Um, there's no reason for these episodes to be crazy long. First place. Did I tell you guys to respect Belcher because Belcher won on Sunday too? Obviously, a different person. Respect where respect is due. Bob forty nine won on Sunday. I'm sorry, on Saturday, and then Sunday ZYX Jerry won. So with a similar Belcher list, I'm gonna run through it really quick just to make sure I'm not missing anything crazy. But pretty similar. And, you know, in terms of the the meat of the deck is going to be the same. Obviously, the combo, what sets up the combo and your accelerators are going to be pretty much the same. At a quick glance, I'm not seeing much of anything that's different. This is almost a borderline cut and copy list. The sideboard might be a little different, but Belcher going to Belcher and Belcher Belchered. 
So. Sure did. Good job, Belcher. Second place, four color elementals. This is our four color Omnath, basically ETB tribal. This one's packing four Risen Reefs. So this oh, one. That's the first card I went to. Yep. So this one isn't even. At, is this running Ephemerate? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So we're still running the Ephemerate package and we're still running all these cards that we want to bring in, but we're leaning harder into the elemental side of it with Risen Reef. So, you know, this is one of those cards where there's a lot of upside in that when every one of your elementals enters and draws a card, you're going to win a game quickly. The severe downside is it's a very expensive, weak creature that requires setup. So that's definitely why I, I think you see Risen Reef cut a lot, is it's so killable. It's so removable. And putting your game plan back a turn might be backbreaking and lose you the game. But I think it's a great way to mitigate what we've talked about, how these game, these how these decks are so dirtily. And you know, one of the reasons I think that Burn and Hammer Time have been so good is the best decks in the format have been four-color ETB Elemental Tribal decks that can take a long time to kill you. And Risen Reef is just one of the best things to do on turn three or turn two if you have some acceleration, and then just start, I mean, pounding in these already really valuable and really like these high payoff cards like Omnath, either Omnath, like Endurance, like Moldrifter, like Solitude, and gaining extra cards off of them. So... Probably a, a good way for the Elementals package to go over the other Elemental decks. Yeah, the other four-color Elemental ETB decks. This is a great way to go above and beyond. You know, when you start getting to where you're worried about the mirror too much, you go up. And this is a good way of going up. Is Risen Reef is a great way to go up. I'm going to have more cards. It's easier for me to pitch. And it's way easier for me to find my Omnath Locus of the Royal or my Locus of Creation and just bury you. You know, back in my day, if we wanted to abuse Moldrifter, we had to pay four mana for makeshift mana. Ugh. Yeah, and that was all over standard. <laughs> so wouldn't these you, guys are lucky they get ephemerate. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't you rather just pay one white and flip it twice? Right. Crazy. <laughs> Three mana for Moldrifter, one white, and four cards. You draw right. four cards. And have a 2-2. Two -two. And have a 2-2 two -two with flying. Third place is, um, so you hear me say a lot like, oh, I hate playing against that deck. I don't like that deck. Uh, this is by far probably my least favorite deck to play against. <laughs> the glimpse combo. This is my least favorite cascade. Deck. I got super excited the first time I saw glimpse combo. <laughs> I was like, what? And I then it. I looked into it. I'm like, oh, you're not anything like what I wanted. No, to play. <laughs> not. Yeah, not wrong yeah. glimpse. Yeah. Uh, so this is working off of glimpse of tomorrow, which has 13 lines of text. Essentially, what it does is you take every permanent you own, you shuffle it in your library and you flip that many cards and you put those permanents into play. So this is one of those suspend for three. Yep. So obviously you're cascading into it with Shardless Agent or with Violent Outburst. And it's very roll the dicey in that, I mean, you flip what you flip and you never know what you're going to get. Sometimes the decks whiff. Sometimes the decks go infinite and just flip and flip and flip and flip and flip. I couldn't imagine playing this thing in paper because you start getting into where you're like while resolving all your triggers from one glimpse of tomorrow you can cast another glimpse of tomorrow and have multiple stages of triggers stacked and you're shuffling permanence in and flipping and it's bonkers it's an incredibly good deck um i'll be straight honest with you one of the reasons i hate it so much is i played against it once and i countered his first three cascade cards and he still won or she i don't know who it was but like i was just so like i had the perfect answer the first three it might have been four and it wasn't enough they just they just keep going. They just kept going. So <laughs> you I, don't like Cascade. I don't. I uh, I don't. It's very good. It's one of those things. That's very good. It just it feels too good to me. Um, when you build a deck specifically to abuse it. So when you see like the bug Cascade lists, especially in Legacy, where it it, it cascades into Brainstorm, it cascades into Hinduturok, it cascades into maybe an Ancestral Recall. 
uh, ancestral visions. Well, when you cascade into it, it's ancestral recall. Ancestral recall, yeah. You know, like those decks, I don't hate nearly as much because it's very roll the dicey and it's very like, you know, you get what you get. These decks that are. They're somewhat deterministic. They're built to cast tuned. Shardless Agent once and hit the card yes, you want. Aggressively tuned and aggressively deterministic to um, win the game on the spot. Now, obviously, Glimpse of Tomorrow adds some more dice rolling in there, but the way this deck can just vomit permanence, it, it's. You're very unlikely to not win the game once you resolve your first one because you're almost almost certainly going to resolve a second one. But cool deck, guys. I just don't want to play it, so don't make it don't make it top eight very often, please. Right. So we've got a three very good cascades. Yes. Yeah. So you've got yeah. Crashcade is probably the best, at least most common deck. Certainly the most consistent. Most consistent, and yeah, by the most consistent and the most like good grindy. There's just a lot of good cards in that. It's it's consistently good cards. Then you've got your living end combo, which is a hard combo deck that just the game is over. You untap once you resolve your uh, your cascade. You untap once the game is over because you've put 27 power into play. Probably the probably one of the simpler ones to play. The simpler, more straight lined cascade decks. And then you've got glimpse the glimpse combo deck, which is by far the least played. Probably one of the more complicated because you have to resolve all of your triggers correctly. And some of them are simple, but some of them you need to you. It, it's kind of meat pie ish in mm-hmm. that sometimes I, I, I looked some at the list. There's plenty of cards that are just good cards. They're just there. good cards. And there have been plenty of games I played against it where, you know, your the opponent doesn't go infinite and they get to where they have a bunch of permanents and you have to find a way to win with these permanents. None of them are backbreaking by their own. And you have to find a way to win while your opponent probably has a board state of some kind. But yes, we have three distinct glimpse decks that are, or not glimpse decks, but cascade decks that are very playable. Fourth place is Hammer Time. Hammer Time going to Hammer Time. Um, worth noting, this is a no Luris Hammer Time list. So on Saturday, we had a Luris Hammer Time. This is no Luris. They don't say anything crazy spicy in there. Fifth place is your Is It Merktide list. So if you feel like playing Legacy, but you'd rather play with um, crappy Brainstorms and crappy Force of Wills, you can come on over to modern and play things like consider and serum visions. And I think the big thing there was if you feel like le- playing legacy, but want to pay 1300 instead of 6,000, come play in modern. <laughs> That's also one way to look at it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, a really cool list. It's obviously I love seeing these in modern because it's a cool list in modern that isn't oppressively powerful. Right. That's the, that's the thing we always talk about is like, clearly I shouldn't say clearly, but these cards don't seem to be taking over modern the way mm-hmm. they do. Like, yep. Which makes sense. They were designed for modern and and came out in a modern specific set. Mm -hmm. Sixth place on Sunday, Belcher. Guys, pack your Belcher hate. I'm not saying Belcher is going to be what you play every week, but you'll lose to it if you can't. You will lose to it if you can't. If you can't interact with it, you're going to lose. There are enough people that have realized that there's not enough Belcher hate. So until Belcher is ground is stomped into the ground, you got to be prepared for it. And that's going to be, you know, your force of vigors, your... Essentially, your instant speed artifact removal and your counter spells. That's what you, you just got to be prepared and you got to be ready. And count a lot of those. Uh, I don't know if you notice the deck runs for main deck pact of negation. Yep. So that you're going to need two of those. Yes. Like realistically, it's, it's very ready to like if, if they get to uh, basically stack their deck with that clash card, mm-hmm. they're going to have force of at least one, maybe two, depending, right. depending on how long they can wait. Right. Because so. they, they're never going to pay the five. They're going to. Yeah. Resolve Char Belcher. Why would you? Game's over. Dome you for whatever, and then have two force of, yeah. or Pact of Negation. So, yeah, be prepared, guys. Keep it in your mind. Keep it in your mind, and keep it in your sideboards, at least for now. And, and I, you know, going into Channel Fireball Weekend, like, I can't imagine there's not going to be a bunch of people there trying to meme with Char Belcher. Because Char Belcher's in kind of a meme deck, 
it just also happens to be incredibly powerful and relatively consistent. Yeah. So be prepared. Seventh place, five color Omnath. We've got kind of a mix between our super friends and our ETB tribal. So we've got things like Omnath, Locus of Creation, and Solitude for our like end of the battlefield. We aren't running Ephemerate, but we also have seven Planeswalkers. So tons of removal, tons of counterspells, tons of like flexible answers. Like we've got Kaya's Guile and Culligan's Command to interact with whatever permanents we need to and wrap the game up with a Renin Six or an Omnath or a Solitude. You know what this reminds me of? Legacy Checkpile. I never played against Checkpile. What's Checkpile? Uh, Checkpile was when Death or when Deathrite Shaman was still legal. It was a four-color control deck. And that deck was crammed full of two and value. So the big thing, and this is the big thing that makes me think of it, is Culligan's Command with Snapcaster. Yep. Being able to cast Culligan's Command, get it in your graveyard, Snapcaster it back, yep. get it into your hand. If you've already got a Snapcaster in your graveyard, you can get it back with Culligan's yep. Command and start this this just value train yeah. that's just it, Kaya's Guile, it's strong. Kaya's Guile is on the same metric Correct. there where you start Snapcastering it's Kaya's Guile. We actually talked about Kaya's Guile yesterday and we're comparing it to Golikin's command. Yes, it's an incredibly powerful card. It's just, it's so flexible. Anytime yep. you see these cards that have four lines and almost all of them are relevant. You know, making a 1-1 one, one flying token isn't crazy, but it's not the worst either. Gaining four life, probably not your first choice, but stabilizing is better than dying. Obviously, nuking an opponent's graveyard, that seems pretty relevant. And the and making an opponent sack a creature, like bye-bye, yeah, that... Merktide. Kaya's Guile seems like its floor is a little lower. Mm -hmm. It's definitely but worse it's than still Culligan's a command. very good card. Exactly. So. Because I mean, it's it's hard to complain when you're comparing a card to Culligan's command as far as flexibility goes. <laughs> yeah. That card's nuts. Yep. Sure is. <laughs> I actually really like it. I love the fact that Culligan's command, in my opinion, is very comparable to Cryptic Command, and mm -hmm. in just in power level, where it's just like I love the fact that a non-blue card got a very flexible instant answer. Yeah, it just does so much. That and, card is very yeah, fun so, to play. You know, Omnath and Solitude, hopefully probably coming in to help secure the game and end it with uh, with um, Renin Six and Snapcaster Mage to just generate insane amounts of value yep. with your Call Against Command, your Kai's Command, your Kai's Guile. I could really use Deathrite Shaman. Your Archmage's Charm. I'm sure it would love it. <laughs> and your best removal with Fatal Push and Prismatic Ending. A hilarious. I I just looking at the. I was looking at the uh, <laughs> the land base for this deck. It's just every one of one blood crypt, one bleed, one breeding pool, one hallowed fountain, one water grave. Because it's four color list and just running reflect reflecting pool. Every single dual land it can. Yep. Couple of the triomes. The, this is one of those where like your mana base is gonna hurt if you want to play stuff this turn. Yeah. So if you watch out for burn. <laughs> And in eighth place is, again, our four-color blank list, $2,700 for a modern deck. Just so you guys know, um, there are plenty of legacy decks. That's more decks. than I paid for elves. There's, well, that doesn't count. You No, don't. Yeah, like, eight, what, I 10 know, years ago? But, well, this is one of the things we're always talking about, how legacy cost is almost as much now as vintage yeah. used to cost. Modern is starting to cost. Yeah. Again, on the fringes, not all the decks are like this, but this is how it starts. Yep. Modern is starting to be comparable to where legacy yep. was. When I started playing like I think I think death and taxes right now with solitudes like the 80 death and taxes 80 card is like I think 13 to 1400 dollars so a full thousand dollars less than this than this deck um but this is your ETB tribal although again this is kind of mixing between them where we've only got two ephemerate now we've got endurance we've got ice fang we've got omnath we've got fury we got solitude so this deck has a slightly worse companion 
as far as this goes. So it's running Yorion instead of the other guy that makes it. So you have to wear, you have to have uh, elementals. Gotcha. Okay, here. So it can run better creatures. Yep. So it gets Ice Fang, Coatl, and Ragavan as opposed to having to have all elementals yep. and you get your own. Yep. That's interesting. And it also picks up eight planeswalkers with four Ren and six and four to Finally, time somebody with some sense. He's main deck force of negation. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so he's ready to beat Charbelcher. Only two. You're going to yeah. need more. Yeah. And your 80 card deck. But so it's, you know, that's the kind of that cool hybrid between them where, you know, you see some of those ephemerate decks that are four ephemerate, all the elementals and that's it. And then you see some of the super friends decks that are running 13, 14 planeswalkers. This is a little more in the middle where you've got eight planeswalkers. Although I guess it's an 80 card deck. So those numbers kind of skewed, but so you got a chunk of planeswalkers. You're still running all of the elementals you can and Ragavan and Ice Fang and, you know, Memory Deluge, Expressive Iteration, just the good stuff in all your colors. Also running three spreading seas because Wasteland is good, even if it costs two and they get an island, Yep, but it does draw a card. So that'd be a good card. Can we get a Wasteland that draws a card? And I know it's not in there for this reason, but it does fix your mana. It can. It can. It, in, in a worst case scenario, it right. can. So. It, and it can trip swallow. Does it? Yep. It's obviously it'd be. I mean, awful. The uh, the the play pattern is very real of spreading seas, whatever, <laughs> to fairy bounce my spreading seas, play spreading seas again, yeah. just to start, just to keep generating yep. card value. It's a it, spreading seas gives to fairy an excellent bounce target because there are times. I mean, you don't want to bounce your opponent's solitude. Clearly, Correct. I don't want you to have that back in your hand. So I want to bounce something to get some value, and I want to draw a card because the Teferi Time Raveler is so weak against Prismatic Ending. It's a real risk to throw it out there and tick it up because it's very easy to have someone go, yeah, cool, a three-mana Prismatic Ending. Cool. Thanks for wasting your turn. Yep. So being able to bounce your own Spreading Seas and being able to generate multiple cards out of that, very good. Sunday metagame breakdown. So your Murktide Regent, like, is it Dex? Six in total, 18.5%, uh, almost 19%. Rule mid range. Um, I don't think we saw any of those in, unless it's yeah, it's so, just further down. I think yeah, we didn't see any of those in our top eight. But this is things like um, rule good stuff piles. So scavenging ooze. Did you guys know Tarmogoyf was still playable? It might be. Oh, it's definitely still a very good card. It's, it's just, just it's just been... so much worse than everything else to be doing yep. in that mana cost for two mana. Correct. Well, you can cast Tarmogoyf or you can cast Murder. Yeah, which would and oddly enough, both of them reward you for filling your graveyard, and one of them rewards you significantly more than the other. So this is kind of what I was thinking: the Blood Moon, Arbor Elf, Blood Moon. You got to be doing something on. Now I see it. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you, if you were, you'd just be better off running Jund if you weren't trying to do something. Yeah. So yeah, it makes sense to get bring in the Blood Moon and using your Arbor Elf to to get turn yeah. one acceleration and pillage and Utopia Sprawl. So Utopia Sprawl allows you to play under your own Blood Moon easily with yep. some basic lands. Yep. So it's it's a kind of a Ponza a little bit. It does it doesn't look mm -hmm. like it's fully dedicated to it, but you got Blood Moon and effectively a better Stone Rain. You're trying to turn to pillage them or turn to uh, Blood Moon. Yep. Um, then we've got all threes: Hammer Time, Five Color Omnath, and Azorius Control. <laughs> Belcher came in with. So there were two Belcher decks in the top 32, and both of them were in the top eight. Most played cards, number one, Counterspell, Force of Will of Modern, <laughs> number two, Lightning Bolt, number three, Ragavan, number four, Expressive Iteration, number five, Dragon Rage Channeler. A lot of those are almost the same as Legacy. Turns out the best cards are still the best cards. Yeah, any of those sound familiar, guys? Yep. Uh, top creatures, Ragavan, DRC, then we have Fury and Solitude, and then Murktide Regent. So, for perspective, the best cards in the format that started in 2000? Did Martin start in like what 2005? Exactly. Okay, so the format that's between 10 and 20 years old, 10 to 15 years old at least. Card printed three months ago. Card printed three months ago. Card printed three months ago. Card printed three months ago, and another card printed three months ago. 
Those are your top five creatures. Yep. And top spells, Counterspell, Lightning Bolt, Expressive Iteration, Mishra's Bubble, and Prismatic Ending. So is Modern good? Yes, Modern's great. Am I more upset about Legacy than Modern when it comes to the prevalence of MH2? Yes, because they shouldn't be in Legacy. They're, they're, they're mucking it up more. Is it maybe a problem that this very eternal format that has decks that cost more than $2,000, the top 10 lists are peaked by cards printed three months ago or two months ago? So remember, what, sometime last year where I said I think they're trying to turn Modern into Legacy? Yeah, very much. The problem is, so the the goal, so here the, the goal was to turn modern into legacy power wise, but leave the price aspect of it behind. And they're not printing enough cards. It's just becoming as expensive as legacy. So who knows? Maybe uh, five years from now we'll have three hundred dollar shocklands. <laughs> after the after, I hope so. I've got a lot of shocklands. <laughs> <laughs> after Ravnica, I won't be surprised if it's a long time before they put them back in standard. Time to advocate for additions to the reserve list. Whatever is in my binder. No. We, no, don't listen to him. We, we are aggressively anti-reserve list. More cards on the no, reserve list. He's lying. We are anti-reserve list. The Cantrip Cartel does not support the reserve list. So to wrap our episode up this week, uh, we'll, let's quickly go through a topic that the Plain Soccers discussed on their episode on Wednesday. The or actually it came on Tuesday, but the idea of proxying cards in both private for fun settings and maybe even high-level competitive settings. You know, they did a, a kind of a long-form discussion on what they felt about proxying cards you do or don't own and it kind of got me thinking you know we have some similar opinions and some different opinions to both them and each other and it's a good chance for us to throw our two cents into the mix of should we proxy cards what does it mean for the format and should you let other people proxy cards so just to start off with what is a proxy a proxy broadly speaking is any what I'm going to say is fake magic card. or It's any, a stand-in for a real card. Any stand-in magic card. And at the very low end, we would consider this as like a piece of paper where you write mana crypt on it and put it in front of a land or something you may have seen is someone takes a Sharpie and writes mana crypt on a Sharpie yep. or on, a, on an island. Yep. And that's their mana crypt. The middle tier is probably somebody prints out either in black and white or color on like an inkjet printer. They A, a picture of what a mana crypt is. They cut it out and put it in front of a like an island or a land in their sleeve, and that's their mana crypt. And probably the high-end proxy would be going to something like makeplayingcards.com, ideally using some non-copyright images, like some custom artwork, yep. and putting a mana crypt. You, know, you, can, you can use the border of a mana crypt and the mana cost and put some cool custom art in there and, and order for... Probably a quarter, ten cents yeah. each. They get they get a little cheaper the more you get. Yep, and you can get like a real, like it feels like a real magic card. It's clearly fake. Yep, that's one of the things we need to point yeah. out before we I start. I clearly this. want to make a difference we, between. No, at no point do we advocate the use of fake cards yes. that are indistinguishable from magic cards, yep. even by the naked eye. Yeah, your cards, if you're going to run proxies of any type, need to be plainly. Yep. Not real cards. Yes, they have to be obnoxiously fake. And by that, I mean, so some of the times when we do um, proxies, we will do, um, even if we do different artwork, there's no set symbol. Yep. I will remove text from the bottom of the card where it has like artist name or whatever. Like The big one is just using a different back. I always use a different back. So the back I use is called Proxy the Gathering. But you could look at our cards from five feet away and know they're fake. Correct. And that's on purpose because yep. there's a big difference between, um, and what you'll see a lot is on like wish.com, 
Chinese counterfeits. And Correct. some we, of them are good. Yeah, we do not use those. No, because I don't want more of those to exist, and I don't want more of those to get into the market and people buy them accidentally because everyone has a story or knows a story of someone who plays with a card for years. Somebody walks up and goes, that's a really good Mana Crypt proxy. And that person goes, this isn't a proxy because they bought a fake card by accident. Right. And someone sold them a $100 fake card. Yep, and if you, to be perfectly honest, if you don't pull it from a pack and it costs you more than like 50 bucks, I would get a jeweler's loop yeah. loop, and look at it. Yep, you and can you can do, there are some, you just look it up. We're not going to go over today because yeah. that's what we're talking about. You can Google the process of it and a yeah, jeweler's and, loop on Amazon is like 10 bucks. Yeah, in 10, for 10 bucks in about 10 minutes, you can learn how to spot yep. the vast majority of fakes. And if you're buying anything expensive, you should do that. The alternative is you can go to your local card shop. Your LGS almost certainly is prepared to check the If validity. they're not willing to check, you shouldn't buy it. Yeah. Well, what I mean is, let's say I... You can have them do it for yeah, you. Yes. If my buddy, or if I pick up a buy you off of Facebook, I can go to my card shop and say, hey, I bought this. Will you check? And they'll look at it. And they, I mean, I won't speak for everybody, but I'll assume they'll look at it and tell you what's real. So yeah. yes, don't buy fake cards. Don't buy counterfeits. Buy or make proxies. Correct. So with that out of the way, I'll, take, I'll leave it over to Matt and I'll let him start this. So Matt, what is your opinion on proxies? And do it in first or in order a uh, casual play, like let's say commander. Or maybe like uh, maybe like we get together for a home FNM into maybe higher level competitive magic might be playing for money. Yep. So as far as I'm concerned, I'm pretty pro proxy except for myself. I don't particularly like using proxies unless I have to. Uh, we recently played at a uh, Legacy Tournament 2K. In that scenario, I did. I own 100% of Legacy Elves with real cards i decided to proc use proxies for my guys cradles and my bayous because they cost a thousand dollars a piece and this is one of the things that i'm pro proxy for it's very dangerous to walk around with legacy legacy deck mm -hmm. anymore you could spill a cup of coffee and lose ten thousand dollars to preface this the tournament we went to had a 10 proxy limit correct it so, was a 10 proxy yeah. limit tournament Matt there were plenty of proxies Matt there wasn't cheating no, mine or, were very obvious proxies they allowed. allow players to bring and is to mitigate the costs yep. to bring a couple fake cards yeah. And he uses that to mitigate his risk where, yeah, if someone were to steal his deck box or if he spills some water in his backpack yep. and you ruin your guy's cradles. Any number of things can happen. Yep. So there's no reason to, if you don't have to, walk out the door carrying $10,000 in a backpack. Exactly. So I'm pro proxy. I personally don't like the feeling I get emotionally when I use a lot of proxies. I don't mind using them for cards I own. Um, I don't mind when my opponents use them. I 100% understand that like leg that the formats we play primarily EDH and legacy both get very expensive very quickly. I get that most people don't own four guys cradles. Most people don't own one guys. Cradle. Yeah, even for like commander, even for commander. I, but that doesn't mean I don't want my opponents to play on the same level as I do. Mm -hmm. I have no issue at all sitting down in a four player commander game and seeing proxy. All I ask is that they look good so they don't detract from the overall experience yep. because regardless of what anyone says, the appearance of cards, there's a reason the art is so popular. The appearance of cards matters to the experience of everyone. So, so if you're playing with a basic land that's got, you know, Mana Crypt written on the front, that actively detracts from my experience. If you're playing with a, a very good proxy, I don't really care. Yep. Put and some effort into it. You're already getting out of paying $100 for it. You can put some effort into your proxy at the very least it's <clears throat> relatively easy to print out a correct size picture in color yep you know the the minimum like the minimum effort i kind of expect you to do if you want to proxy a card is print out a black and white cyclonic rift at right. the minimum realistically it 
get some color. Get a right. color cyclonic rift. Because I mean, you should be using I, colored proxies. If I flashed you a decently printed cyclonic rift in a sleeve and said, "I cast cyclonic rift and put it down," you might not even notice. Right. And if you don't care about proxies, it won't matter. But if I show you my um, my triangle of paper that I wrote cyclonic rift and I misspelled cyclonic and I go, I'm casting cyclonic rift. It pulls you out of the game on top right. of as soon as someone says, what does that do? Now you're in a whole pickle. Now you of, have no, well, now you have to whip your phone out yeah. and Google cards. And yeah. that's to me, whenever I'm in any sort of social setting, I don't like creating obligations for the people that I'm around. So if I'm going to play a proxy, if I just write cyclonic rift on there my opponent might not know what that does. Absolutely. And now I've put the burden on him to Google it mm -hmm. as opposed to me being able to just show him the card. Yeah. Now, obviously, there's because we're magic players, there's going to be corners cases and stuff like that. Well, well, actually, there's plenty of cards where the rules text has changed. I mean, we just had a yeah. couple printed. We're not talking about that. We're talking about low effort proxies where you just write. Yep. I mean, some of these cards have I mean, look at any modern set and the cards have 10 or 15 lines of text i mean <laughs> yeah. that's an exaggeration but like oh i was <laughs> you ne i need to be able to take your card and read it and understand what it does without pulling a, out a third party software playing historic brawl which is essentially historic commander with new cards mm -hmm. i get reading fatigue yeah reading all these new cards i've never seen before and it's just like line after line after line and so at the very least be prepared that people are going to want to read your cards i've never gotten mad at anybody for wanting to read my card that's how magic works yep I don't expect anyone to have a Rolodex of 45,000 cards. I want to be able to hand it to them. This is what it does. Yep. Now, one of the things I'm personally not a big fan of using alternative art as far as what my opponents do. So like if you're running primetime in a four player game, uh, I know he's banned, but he's just since we talked about him, I should be able to look across the table and recognize what you're playing mm -hmm. because we're sitting at a you know, weird yep. angles. You're not just sitting right in front of me. I can't see every single card you have yep. very well. Your cards need to be recognizable by your opponent. And so like having weird art that like I can't, I have no idea what that card is. Mm -hmm. I'm not a huge fan. It, it pulls I don't away like, a little bit. It, again, all these things are this is something Jake and I talked about. There's a huge upside to playing proxies. It comes with downsides. Mm -hmm. And that's basically what I wish people would realize. It's kind of like the reserve list. I'm a huge proponent of getting rid of the reserve list. It's going to come at a cost. It's going to hurt some people. Yep. I'm willing to do that, including taking the hit myself. Me too. But it, the proxy issue is the same thing. There are arguments for why proxies shouldn't be allowed. And I think we are, it's just not, it's not a good way to argue when you just totally dismiss the other side. There are, there are issues with running proxies. Now, if you can mitigate those to, in, to the best of your ability, you should. And that will ease a lot of the issues anyways. And that's so going like, to come in getting high quality proxies right. or getting high high quality printings at least. Like you print correct. out a nice looking picture that's, yeah. that, that fits well. It's the right size. Yep. So and then as far as competitive formats go, I'm 100% on board. Like if we're going to a legacy tournament, playing in paper with proxies isn't functionally different than playing online. Mm -hmm. We're using stand-ins for, I mean, these are game pieces mm -hmm. when you're talking about competitive play. Um, that's one of the things I wanted to bring up is like the CEDH community is wildly pro proxy. They understand most people aren't going to buy Time Twister, but it's in a lot of CEDH decks. Yep. Same thing with, yeah, I think uh, if I remember correctly, Bizarre of Baghdad is legal in, in like an in EDH. Like there's all kinds of stuff that you wouldn't. Technically is legal. I mean, yeah, it's just, Chains of Mephistopheles is legal. Correct. Either Void, stuff like that. These are all cards that are legal that don't see a ton of play mm -hmm. because they're super expensive. Yep. 
So the CEDH community has been like, I mean, CEDH decks are even, they're somewhere between legacy and vintage decks in price. Mm -hmm. the, the community almost as a whole is wildly pro proxy. Yeah. Um, because it, it facilitates they, these games existing. Correct. They just want to play these games. They don't care that you don't own a time twister. And I think like, I think the opinion of like, I'm, I think that opinion holds for most legacy players. Yep. Most legacy players would love it. And that's why we also advocate again, most of us for the abolition of the reserve list. Yep. I don't, I wish legacy wasn't as expensive as it is to get rid of. That would be a huge financial hit to me. As far as my collection goes, I'd rather take that hit and have legacy Friday night magic. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine if every single week a legacy tournament fired 20 minutes from our house? Yeah, it'd be bonkers. That'd be amazing. Pro proxy as far as competitive play goes. Very much. And that 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 to me, as what I got uh we were talking about it on Reddit a little bit. That to me is the answer. That's the way forward for legacy. Proxies are the answer. It, 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 in magic in its current state. Yeah. With, right. with with no intervention on Wizards part proxy is the solution because you have to... two things that are true that i think like that makes proxies perfect for legacy one wizards has created the reserve list and they won't get rid of it they saved it that a dozen times give it up guys two they don't host sanctioned legacy tournaments yep so why are we not using proxies yeah they they have kind of in a minor sense turned their back on the um the competitive legacy scene it is up to us the community to keep it going and we are yep we have been for a long time we can take it a step further and make the cost of entry as much, low much, as much lower. possible. Yeah. So I agree with Matt on pretty much everything. Um, when it comes, I'm a little more loosey goosey on proxies though, because in my opinion, I just want to play magic at all tiers. And so talking about, especially in like commander and very casual formats, the idea that um, Aether Void is it Aether Void. There, yeah. Aether Void and Chains of Mephistopheles and like or it's not Aether Void, it's Nether Void. Nether Void. I thought I thought Aether Void sounded weird. Yeah. Nether Void and Chains of Mephistopheles, like uh and you know, uh is Talarian Academy legal in? No. So Thank well God. you know what? Even Gaius Cradle, like yeah. these are not casual cards, and these are like you'd say high salt cards. Yep. Um, and so that's where you have to communicate with your play group. That gets harder when you play at a store with randos. But you gotta communicate with people, and as long as we're all on the same page. I don't care because I, I want to play against Nether Void. I want to play against Chains of Mephistopheles. I want to play against those decks of that power or of that like uniqueness. And I really don't care if it's real or not. I want to experience the board state that that card creates. So, you know, anytime you're going to try, you're trying to catch your friends off guard or catch noobs off guard at the local yeah, you shop. Shouldn't be pub stomping. Then you're in the, you're somewhat in the wrong. You know, I, that, that's a, Trying to soak up all the fun out of other people is probably not the way you should play Commander. But as long as we communicate it, and it's you know, and I want to play CDH, and three people that are at the shop tonight, they brought proxy CDH decks. Obviously, they don't own any. Um, uh, what's that? What's the seal card? What's the one black vampiric tutor? But it's a seal, Imperial Seal. Imperial. You know, they seal. don't own Imperial Seal. They don't own Time Twister. But they printed some. They printed out some decent looking proxies, and they put the deck together. And now I get to play my Borderline CDH deck. Like that's what I. That's why I'm so pro proxy. Is while there definitely are going to be instances where, unfortunately, you sit down with your level six deck, and somebody goes, you know, Dark Ritual into Lotus Petal into uh, 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 Nether Nether Void turn yeah. one. Something stupid. Like that's going to happen, and that really sucks. And I'm sorry. That's a downside. I think the upside is like you get to experience these cards that exist. And like, so for perspective, for the vast majority of people listening to this podcast and the vast majority of people that play commander in general, Nether Void isn't a card. Yep. 
And that's unfortunate because Nether Void is a cool card. It's a good black card. It's a great way to to help curb um, like heavy combo decks or like like stormy style decks or really go wide decks if you're in black. If you don't know what it does, it basically makes everything cost three or more. Yeah, it, it, it makes everything well, cost three more. Well, or, it's in, it, it's somewhat important. It's each spell is countered unless you pay three. Right. So if you can get uncounterable, obviously you get around yeah. that. But like, it's an interesting card that, for all intents and purposes, doesn't exist. I don't like that. I want that to card to be in people's repertoire. Now, if you get a personal play group where you can start curating that list even further, that's ideal. So case in point, we had an in-house ban list. Yep, we just added a couple cards that we found. They they detracted. They just, yeah, they just detracted from the overall experience. Exactly. That was what? Cyclonic Rift, Arm- Tooth and Nail, Armageddon. and Armageddon. Yes, we decided and these Ravi- cards. And any any functional, so like yeah. Armageddon, Ravages of War. Ravages yeah. of War. Ruination. Well, Ruination yeah. is not basic, but... Yeah. Yes, so if you have the ability to curate that with your friend group, that's, in my in my opinion, I don't understand why groups that play regularly together don't play proxies. Because if you guys want to sit down every Saturday, every Sunday, and play Magic, you can easily say, Derek, stop playing Nether Void. Right. We don't want that. You can proxy every Mana Crypt you want. You can proxy every Ristic Study you want. Stop playing Nether Void. And you can create that in-house ban list to ensure the fun of the group. It gets weird when you play with random people at the shop because that's that's where it starts getting weird trying to one avoid pub <laughs> stompers. My solution to that is I would one hundred percent recommend to everyone never play EDH with strangers. It's it's just it's a awful. worse experience. It's, it is. It's just well, awful. The other I would take a step back from that. Never be but you know maybe play with strangers, but never be afraid to exclude strangers from your play group. Where I mean, if I go to the shop and I play with Matt. And we play a game or two, and Matt's not a fun person to play Commander with. That's fine. Matt, you can enjoy Commander however you like, just not with me. Yep. And so if the game involves Matt, I will politely step out. And I'll you guys can play, or we can play without Matt. And that's either gonna make it either you're gonna find that you're the only person that hates how Matt plays, and maybe you should change how you play or find a new scene, or Matt will realize nobody wants to play with him and he should change how he plays yep. or find a new scene. The I think the one thing that you and I probably would disagree on, and maybe not given what you just said. All of that is true, and I think the anti-proxy players also have the right to say, like, if there's four of us and one person doesn't like proxies, I don't think you should play proxy because you are fundamentally breaking the rules of magic. Mm -hmm. I think if we're all agreeing to break the rules, then we can all break the rules. But you should have cards to replace your proxies in case you run into people, especially out in the wild. In case you run into it's, people who are like, I'm not okay with you proxying guy as cradle. That's, a, that's an interesting that's concept. Not fair. Like, do you think a, should a four person pod be fully democratic? Like, if three vote yes and one votes no, is that no ruled out, or does it take one no to say no proxies? In this particular case, like I said, I think it's different when you're like working with things. I, for example, like if it was me, you, Mike, and Alex, mm-hmm. and one of us vetoed proxies, I think we shouldn't have proxies. If it's a if it's a very like close a Correct. closed group, because it's just again. We, it takes everybody to decide we're not playing with the rules anymore. Yeah, that's fair. Um, if you're in a game store and me, you, and Alex go to the game store and one guy says we're not allowed to play proxies, guess what, dude? Yeah. You're not... You can find we're going to play with proxies. You can do whatever the hell you next want. Next pod over. But like, I also... like If it's just four strangers, I think four strangers should all have to be in agreement to fair. have proxies. That seems so if you fair. have proxies in your deck, you should probably bring some alternatives... Yep. And just and uh, for example, guy's cradle. Okay, I I don't get to play with my proxies. Guy's cradle. I can either a slot in a real one or b pop in a basic forest. Exactly. Like it's not the burden is on you when you want to do something that is 
in most circumstances not allowed. Mm -hmm. You're playing with fake stuff. We're here to play yep. with official game pieces. Yep. So unless that is agreed upon by all of us, I don't think I think the the burden should be on the proxied players, especially given the cost of things. Like if I show up with real cards, why do you guys not get to? Like yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, I get you. So if we all agree to show up with proxies, great. Mm -hmm. But if yeah, that's that that that's a common argument I hear is that you know if 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 I paid for all of my cards, I worked hard, I spent weeks or months saving up for my underground C. Why does Matt get to print one out on a printer? And just have the same, and same joy. And here's the the reality that I think people need to accept. If everyone proxies, we don't have magic. Wizards exists to make money. Yes. And I understand that the things in general, well, people are proxying. Wizards isn't directly making money off anymore. Yeah. But the attitude of proxies has to have a line. Yeah, there has to be a limit. Because there it, has to be a limit to proxies it, it, or magic doesn't exist. If every new set comes out and we all just print out copies Correct. of the cards, no one buys any. Yeah, not so enough people buy any. You shouldn't be proxying standard yeah. decks. Uh, to be per hundred percent honest, if you can't pay for your standard deck, either play limited or find a different game. Yeah, Magic's probably not for you. Yeah, and, and you, if you're not willing to pay any money at all to play it, in my mind, I kind of relegate proxies for like we'll say cards that cost from maybe like forty and fifty dollars up. Yep, that's well, sorry, this that, is the slippery slope that happens. Is as soon as you start to say proxies are okay, people just stop buying cards. Yeah, a lot of people just stop buying cards. That's a very good point. So that that's, that could be a that could be a, a, a like a rule you institute in your group. Where that like, was the thing I liked about that tournament: ten proxies. Yeah. You have to have some skin in the game to show up at this tournament. Yep. You have to, you, yeah. but you can you know proxy underground yep. seas. Yeah, what we're, what we're talking about. And so we move into competitive. I'm with Matt. I'm 100 percent okay with proxies in competitive. I do like the idea of requiring some investment into this because one of the things it kind of does when you i mean even standard it keeps really shitty people keeps out bad of the tournament out of the tournament bad actors out because even if your deck only costs 150 bucks that is a barrier to entry that will keep a lot of people that you don't want to play with out and i don't mean people that are rules lawyers or that play slow or or, or you know they're just net deckers to win i mean people that are genuinely out there to just make everyone's life worse correct there like, was a this may be apocryphal apocryphal but there was uh kevin smith the director used to have a forum that everyone was on and it was just being bombarded with trolls and bots and whatnot he put on like a dollar charge to have access to the forum and it all disappears yep. literally as soon as there is any cost to getting in yep the, most of the bad actors go away. The people that are only interested in tearing it down will go walk somewhere away. else. Yep. And so that's where these, you know, if you allow 10 proxies, 20 proxies, whatever, your deck can be relatively cheap, but you still have to put some money into it. You have to put, you have to buy the cards, you have to get them, sleeve them. Um, that is enough barrier entry to hopefully get It keeps people. most people out. Yeah, exactly. It keeps most of the bad actors the out. worst out. Right. So, you know, that, that's the argument against full proxy. And the argument against also is that. We do need wizards to make money. Yep. Because I want them to keep making cards. Um, but relatively, we agree pretty consistently right. on you know our, our our opinion on proxies. Yeah, I just the the biggest thing with me is understanding that there are almost always two sides. There are very real arguments against proxies, and at the very minimum, you should know what they are and know how to counter those arguments. Yep. And there are there are downsides. I think on net for the things we're talking about, proxies are a good thing. Yeah. I think so. I think that's where we would definitely in, agree. In in the vast majority of situations, Correct. it is a net benefit for the community at large. Yep. Well, Matt, this is a relatively long episode. We're getting well past where the end of should have been. Yep. 
Is there anything else you want to cover this week for magic? I think at this point, I'm just going to start reading from the dictionary. <laughs> Might <laughs> well, as well, right? What. We've hit everything else. <laughs> Let's go ahead and we'll spare the listeners from that. Um, we are Cantrip Cartel. We were super happy to talk to you guys this week. If you want to reach out to us, feel free to hit us up at our Gmail, cantripcartel at gmail.com. Hit us up on our Facebook group. Uh, it's just Cantrip Cartel at Facebook. And we're trying to get our Twitter going at Cantrip Cartel on Twitter, trying to post our episodes, post some deck links. So check us out there. Reach out to us. If you ever have any questions, we'd be happy to read them on air. Uh, we would answer them on air or answer them privately if that's what you like. We love seeing any kind of feedback from you guys about yep, any sort of topic, suggest anything you want to hear us talk about, anything at all. What you like, well, what you magic don't like. Related. I mean, if you'll throw any constructive criticism our way, I will consider it. You know, if you want to be a troll and a, and a jerk, you are well within your rights to do that. I probably won't enact much change on it. But if you reach out and you want something changed or you want to hear something different, you know, let us know and I'll try to work it in if I can. Uh, be sure to check out the Planestalkers podcast. Like I said, they they do record live on Twitch on Mondays, and those usually come out Tuesday or Wednesday for your podcatchers, and they also do their Commander Craft on Wednesdays. They do that every Wednesday. The big thing is um, next Wednesday, the 24th, Matt and I will be on for a special hosts-only uh, Commander Craft, and we're really excited to do that. I built a brand new deck. I think Matt's got some some stuff jumbled around. He's going to put together a new deck. That's going to be on Wednesday around 7 Eastern Standard Time at the uh, twitch.tv forward slash Plains Talkers. We'd love to see you come check it out and, you know, see who wins. Yep. Other than that, is Matt, is there anything I'm forgetting? I think we got it. All right. Well, we will see you guys next week. All right. Have a nice night, guys. Oh, uh, I'm going to cast Iron Crag Feet. I'll use four of the red to cast Goblin Charbelcher and then three to activate it. <laughs>